From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA Senior National Correspondent Steve Herman and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Revive. Welcome, Steve and Dan. Thank you. Great to be with you, Kim. Well, here are the issues. Former U.S. President Donald Trump remains defiant after becoming the first former U.S. leader to be indicted on criminal charges. Trump made televised remarks from his home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, just hours after his New York City court appearance, where he pleaded not guilty to 34 felony charges stemming from hush money payments. Prosecutors allege the payments were part of an unlawful scheme to influence the 2016 presidential election, which Trump won. Well, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen met with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in the first such meeting on U.S. soil. After China condemned it as, quote, acts of collusion, unquote, Taiwan was keeping watch on a Chinese aircraft carrier, but did not expect a large escalation in tensions. As NATO members met in Brussels, Finland joined the military alliance, dealing a major blow to Russian President Vladimir Putin with a historic realignment of Europe's post-Cold War security landscape triggered by Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. NATO members also plan to help equip Ukraine with an expected spring counteroffensive against invading Russian forces. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his wife were welcomed with military honors, tributes and praise in Poland on Wednesday at the start of a state visit meant as a gesture of thanks to Kyiv to its neighbor for its crucial support in Ukraine's defense against Russia's invasion. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that he spoke with his Russian counterpart, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, about the detention of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. Blinken conveyed the United States' grave concern over Russia's unacceptable detention of a U.S. citizen journalist and called for his immediate release. Several rockets were fired from southern Lebanon on Thursday afternoon, with at least one intercepted by the Iron Dome air defense system over northern Israel. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, former President Donald Trump was charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in a historic case. And legal experts observing this case say... The ultimate strength will likely hinge on evidence that has not yet been made public. And Steve, you have been covering this case. What is your take on it? Yeah, that is a very good assessment that uh, there is a statement of facts. This was a bare bones indictment, uh, 34 felony cases uh, involving a series of hush money payments to Donald Trump's uh, former lawyer, who has testified before a grand jury about what he did and why, there is some speculation that there are some facts that have not been revealed, that the uh, prosecutor doesn't want to tip its hand to all the evidence it has. And that remains to be seen. But uh, I would say that criticism of this case, of the indictment, is coming not only from Trump supporters, but from both uh, Democrats and uh, some Republicans who are not Trump supporters, questioning whether these 
charges have been amped up from misdemeanors to felonies. And of course, the uh, former president himself and the uh, Trump supporters are saying that this is all a political persecution intended to weaken Donald Trump in the uh, 2024 presidential election. He is the leading Republican right now for his party's nomination for next year's presidential election. Let's keep in mind that the charges uh, were brought by a prosecutor in New York, not representing the federal government, not the national government. It turns out that former President Donald Trump could face charges also from federal prosecutors in other cases, for instance, uh, allegedly trying to reverse the uh, results of the 2020 election, which Trump lost to Joe Biden. I think we should keep in mind that these charges were brought uh, by a New York prosecutor, not part of the federal or national government, though former President Trump could face charges also on the federal level in other cases that are being investigated. In the political world here in Washington, there's a lot of talk that the prosecutor in New York, his name is Alvin Bragg, was always out to get Donald Trump. And indeed, as Steve said, it means that there are doubts about the case itself, whether the case is strong. But please, Please note that the judge set the next session in the courthouse in New York for the month of December, when the presidential campaign really will be underway. And the trial, therefore, if there's going to be a trial, would go into the year 2024. We have our national election in November 2024. Mr. Trump may well be the Republican Party's candidate. This is truly unprecedented and once again raises questions about well, frankly, America's democracy and the electoral system. I mean, does America want to have a presidential candidate who perhaps is on trial, might go to prison? These are questions that still linger. And it's something that we're just looking ahead to and realizing with all the media coverage and all the question marks, we have no idea where this is going. Dan, you raised a very important point, which is what Trump is facing in New York City may be the least serious of the potential criminal indictments against him. There is the investigation into the January 6th Capitol riot. There is the case in the state of Georgia where uh, Trump called up election officials and asked them to find him more votes. And then there is the case about classified documents that he took with him to Florida after he left the White House. And It's quite possible that before he appears in court again in December in Manhattan, that something could drop in one of those other cases. And I think, Steve, you've been covering this at the Biden administration, specifically President Joe Biden has refused to make any comment about the Trump case. He is doing his best to refrain. He will be peppered with questions by reporters about it constantly and Having uh, covered the White House, uh, both in the Trump and the Biden administrations, I can tell you that uh, some days Joe Biden just can't help himself and uh, will probably make a comment at some point. Well, in his televised address from his home in Mar-a-Lago in Florida, Trump was backed by American flags, speaking to hundreds of supporters at a rally-style gathering, showing that he is still in this presidential race. How will Trump's Republican opponents and even President Biden, if he runs again, handle this on the campaign trail? They have to be very careful, the Republican primary contenders, because they need to bite into Trump's base of support there to to advance their own candidacies. And so far, no candidate, uh, the declared ones and the expected ones, seem to be succeeding. 
Trump is by far the leading contender in the polls being taken and appears even after there's more speculation about others getting in the race to be increasing his lead. But it's a long time between now and the first votes being cast in 2024, and a lot could happen. Yes, well, we will continue to follow that story. And in our next big issue, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy hosted a meeting in Los Angeles, California, with Taiwan's President Tsai. On the day they met on Wednesday, Taiwan's defense ministry said a Chinese aircraft carrier group was in the waters off the island's southeast coast. So what does the U.S. make of China's reaction to this visit? Yeah, the United States is uh, showing uh, quite a unified approach towards the issue of Taiwan, very bipartisan. And that was the symbolism and what we saw at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, where we had both Republican and Democratic uh, members of Congress meeting with the Taiwanese president, something really unprecedented. And uh, at the State Department, Defense Department and the White House, There has been a unified uh, statement from spokespeople during these days saying there is no reason for China to overreact to this. However, they keep emphasizing that uh, this was a transit trip for the Taiwanese president, Tsai Ing-wen, and that's a bit disingenuous. She had meetings with officials in both uh, New York and California, and to call this a transit visit and an unofficial trip even though the government, U.S. government, isn't calling her a state guest or anything like that. But still, I think everybody can see through this. So there's a lot of threading the needle, so to speak, how to characterize this trip. But it certainly indicates that people in the United States, including government officials at the highest level and politicians from both parties, are seeing it is more and more important to publicly embrace Taiwan in the face of these increasing military threats from China. I noticed that Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, over recent months has suggested that the Biden administration isn't tough enough toward China. So it's become popular in Congress where the House has a Republican majority and many Democrats are joining with this attitude that the People's Republic of China had better not threaten Taiwan, that America feels it has important interests there, not the least of which is how many semiconductor chips are manufactured on the island of Taiwan. And certainly it seems the U.S. is still supporting an independent Taiwan which the People's Republic of China feels is very offensive. There is uh, no way under the uh, current regime in Beijing that they're ever going to tolerate an independent Taiwan, and the Taiwanese officials themselves are not pushing for this. But China can afford to play the long game here. As you know, Dan, uh, the Chinese don't have to look at uh, democratic elections every two or four years to determine who's going to be in power and to keep the uh, constituencies uh, supporting them. Chinese history plays out over uh, centuries or millennia. But in this case, we do see indications that Xi Jinping, who now appears to be the president for life in China during his lifetime, wants to have as part of his legacy bringing Taiwan back into the fold. We're also noticing China is 
very active on the world diplomatic scene. China has brought Saudi Arabia and Iran, who've practically been enemies, together, diplomatic relations being restored, uh, with China taking the credit. President Xi visited Vladimir Putin in Moscow and called Putin his friend. And so now the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has visited Beijing, and he's appealing to China to be a responsible power that can help solve global conflicts with Macron saying perhaps China really should help to end the war in Ukraine. Very good point, Dan. And it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, we'll look at Finland's historic move away from neutrality to joining NATO and what it means for Russia. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com slash issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA Senior National Correspondent Steve Herman and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Revive. Finland is now a member of NATO, becoming the alliance's 31st member and issuing a major rebuke to Moscow and doubling the border length Russia shares with the military alliance. Moscow had threatened to deploy troops on its side of the border with Finland if this should happen. And now that it has happened. So what can we expect from Russia? Oh, Russia is really angry, no question about it, because part of the Russian excuse for invading Ukraine in February of last year was that Ukraine was considering joining the Western alliance. Russia said that any expansion of NATO is unacceptable, that even the expansion of NATO since the end of the Cold War more than 30 years ago, according to Russia, has meant aggression toward Russia. And now Finland, so Russia is angry. But what are they going to do about it? They already have invaded Ukraine. They already are causing such incredible unrest in Europe, a land war, the first major land war in Europe since the Second World War. I think why the Russians are angry is because they thought by invading Ukraine, they could underline that they want NATO to pull back. And instead, there's a larger NATO with more of a border right there with Russia. Things have really backfired, I think, for President Vladimir Putin. I agree. And what is really significant about this, I don't know that Finland uh, joining NATO makes much difference for the war in Ukraine, but Russia now has an additional 1,300 kilometers of border with Finland, that is NATO territory now. And uh, Finland, this is hugely symbolic, has always maintained neutrality when it came to wartime alliances and uh, was really under the thumb of Moscow during the Cold War era. You know, that was called Finlandization. And so for Finland to abandon its neutrality is really something historic. And also Ukraine's President Zelensky visited Poland to thank the country for its support during the war. And while it follows visits to the U.S., Britain, France and Belgium, this visit stands out from the others because it was announced in advance 
without the secrecy of past trips, and he was joined by the First Lady, Olena Zelenska. So what message was Zelensky sending with this very open visit to Poland? Well, it really is a public appreciation of thanks. Uh, Poland has already sent uh, four uh, Soviet design MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine. It's uh, handing over four more, and uh, they say they're preparing a half dozen additional fighter jets. And these fighter jets are something that uh, Ukraine has uh, really wanted to receive for its defensive war against Russia. And uh, Poland is turning out to be an absolutely critical ally for Ukraine in this war. Saying uh, thanks in a personal way is significant. But I think also that President Zelensky realizes that in many Western countries, people may forget about Ukraine, just kind of get used to the fact that there's a war over there. And who knows, support for sending military and financial aid could actually dwindle, maybe even here in the United States. It was noted by the Washington Post that the Ukrainian ambassador here, Oksana Markarova, comes to almost every big event and big well, even party all across Washington, D.C., because the ambassador of Ukraine feels she has to keep Ukraine right up there, front and center, receiving applause at the parties, talking to senior politicians to make sure that both political parties in the U.S. keep supporting Ukraine. Also, in another aspect of this, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that he spoke with his Russian counterpart, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, about the detention of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. So Russian state news agency TASS has reported that Gershkovich was ordered to be held in custody until May 29th. So does this mean he will be released or will we have to wait and see if he'll be released? Well, that doesn't mean he'll be released. One imagines that behind the scenes, as in the past, there may well be negotiations between the United States and Russia as to an exchange of prisoners, meaning some criminal held uh, by the U.S. or a U.S. ally may be released. It's so unfair. I feel certain that the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich is innocent, but it's a dangerous job to do now to be in Russia and not just even stay in your office in Moscow, but go to different places in the country and try to analyze how is the Russian economy doing in the face of sanctions? How is Russia really doing in the war? And I think that the Putin regime in Moscow is sending a message to Western journalists, you are not free to work here. It's a very intimidating message. And it does have a chilling effect on the journalism. And we do know of some reporters, Western reporters, who are leaving Russia after this Wall Street Journal correspondent was arrested. And it's also significant. He's being charged with espionage. And so this will be taken very seriously by the Russian judicial system, which, of course, is not an independent judicial system. So I think everybody sees through this that this is a situation where a Western journalist is being used as a pawn in a geopolitical fight. Yes, and that brings us back with last December of U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner. She was released from a Russian prison during a prisoner exchange. So we'll probably see something like this happening again with the Wall Street Journal reporter. 
Well, in our last topic, several rockets were fired from southern Lebanon on Thursday afternoon with at least one intercepted by the Iron Dome air defense system over northern Israel. So, Dan, what do you make of these rockets being fired? Israel's enemies in Lebanon and also in Gaza. Some rockets were fired from there by Palestinian militants. They're reacting to an eruption of violence in East Jerusalem, the part of Jerusalem that Israel captured in 1967 and then annexed. So at one of the important Muslim shrines in Jerusalem, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, According to Israeli police, there were troublemakers holed up inside who'd been throwing stones and throwing fireworks there at what Israel calls the Temple Mount and Muslims call the Haram al-Sharif. And the Israeli police and military were not willing to tolerate it and entered the Al-Aqsa Mosque. In videos that have absolutely enraged people in many Muslim countries, there were Israeli police beating up men inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque, arresting several hundred in a holy place. The Israelis said they were just trying to impose law and order. And then you get the reaction from both Lebanon, the Hezbollah group, and the Gaza Strip, firing rockets into Israel, which always puts you on the edge of perhaps another outbreak of war, maybe between Israel and Gaza. And one other thing to mention is that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu already was under great pressure at home where many Israelis have been protesting every weekend, really big protests against Netanyahu's plan to change the court system in Israel. So it's a time of high tension. Well, it's also a time of celebration for the various religions. So we have Ramadan for the Muslims, Passover for the Jews, and Holy Week ahead of Easter for Christians. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has convened a security cabinet for the first time since February, but uh, there's a huge question mark about who's in charge of the defense ministry, because the prime minister had fired Yoav uh, Gallant, who was the uh, defense minister a couple of weeks ago, because uh, the defense minister called for a slowdown of that judicial overhaul that Dan mentioned. But uh, the defense minister, or the fired defense minister, says he's receiving updates on the situation and is giving instructions to the uh, chief of staff of the Israeli Defense Force. So there is really some internal confusion inside the Israeli government that's certain to exacerbate the situation. And we should note that President Biden himself has advised Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu to pull back on the judicial reform because it has been so divisive. Yes, and thanks for that good summary of that issue. And it's time now to find out what has been weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. So, Steve, what has been weighing on your mind this week? Well, as someone who spent four and a half years in the White House, it was hard not to be distracted by the news about Donald Trump and his legal issues. We're already in the 2024 presidential election, although uh, the incumbent president on the Democratic side, Joe Biden, hasn't declared yet. And so what's on my mind is uh, seeing how other Republican presidential contenders will handle this and will they really confront uh, Donald Trump head to head uh, for the Republican Party nomination. On my mind, the economy, what we call pocketbook issues, the United States and other capitalist free market countries are still facing high inflation. And in almost every country, the central bank here, it's known as the Federal Reserve, 
has been raising interest rates. So there's a question in the U.S., is the Fed, the Federal Reserve, finished with raising interest rates? Will they slow down? Because otherwise the economy is slowing down. But maybe that's what the Fed wanted in order to fight the rise of prices, to fight inflation. So we're kind of on the edge. There's a lot of concern, certainly among investors. And most American families have some money in the stock market, their retirement funds. And people are kind of worried, and I'm keeping my eye on whether the central banks of all these countries can manage to fight inflation without causing great damage to economic growth. Well, thank you both for those thoughts, and we will close the show on those notes. My thanks to our panelists, VOA Senior National Correspondent Steve Herman and Moment Magazine contributor Dan Revive. I'm Kim Lewis, and be sure to join us next weekend for more Issues in the News. 